Welcome to Major League Faith, a podcast dedicated to equipping collegiate and professional baseball players with the tools to live a victorious Christian life. In each episode, our host, Ryan Smith, shares personal stories and biblical insights from his experiences as a professional baseball player, chaplain, and coach. Now, here's our host, Ryan Smith. Hello and welcome to Major League Faith. I'm really excited to share this podcast with you. If you are a person who loves baseball and are a Christian or curious about the Christian faith, you will thoroughly enjoy this podcast. In this first season, I will share with you my journey from a wayward, lost young boy to the moment when Jesus Christ came into my life and what that meant for me and how it changed my life forever. In this first episode, I will cover from my birth all the way through to spring training 1998, where the Lord began to work in my life. The second episode will focus on the first half of the season when I was playing for the Savannah Sand Nats in the South Atlantic League, which was an affiliate of the Texas Rangers at the time. The third episode will focus on my conversion, and the fourth episode will focus on my post-conversion in the second half of the season and the challenges I faced being a newborn believer in Jesus Christ. So let's get started. I was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. One year after I was born, my parents were divorced. I've never known my parents to be together. In fact, I can't even picture them together ever, but I do have photographic evidence, so it is true. My mom and I lived in Kenosha, and my dad moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was there that he worked for the Kinney Shoe Corp. When they asked him to move to Southern California and open these brand new athletic shoe stores that were called Foot Locker. So my dad did move, and he opened Foot Lockers from Oxnard all the way through to San Diego. And because San Diego was the last place that he landed, he ended up living there for a long period of time. Fortunately, in 1982, my mom and I were also able to move to San Diego. I grew up specifically in La Mesa with my mom, and on the weekends, I would spend time with my dad in Santee. One of the most important things that ever happened to me was when my dad signed me up for Little League. And it was evident from the very beginning, although I was very raw, I did have talent. I was able to throw the ball harder than the other boys, and I was also able to hit it further. Mind you, I had no formal instruction as I was only nine years old. I loved the game of baseball. In fact, it was the first place where I felt I belonged. Fast forward a couple of years later, when I was 12 years old, I was throwing 70 miles an hour from 45 feet. I had a 12-6 curveball that I taught myself by throwing a baseball against a wall in my apartment complex. And it was evident at that point in time that I could have a career playing the game of baseball. One moment that I remember distinctly when I was in Little League was 
standing on the field. It was a bright and sunny day. And just thinking to myself how happy I was to have moved to San Diego to be with my dad and to find this game that I loved and that I was really good at. It was just an amazing marker in my life where everything was good. Everything was fantastic. I was at peace. I had joy. And that's the way baseball made me feel for several years in my youth. Now, I continued to play baseball. And when I was a freshman in high school at Helix, I made the JV team. I remember struggling a bit with my control in my freshman, sophomore, junior years. But then when I was a senior, everything really clicked. My velocity was in the high 80s. My curveball was working, and my forkball that I had learned from Jim Lysander at the San Diego School of Baseball was a bona fide strikeout pitch. In fact, in my entire career, from the time I started throwing the forkball when I was 16 all the way until my last pitch in minor league baseball, no one ever got a hit or reached base when I threw my forkball. Because of my senior year, I was able to garner a scholarship to San Diego State University. I was actually offered two scholarships, one to the University of San Diego and the other to San Diego State University. The one to University of San Diego had some strings attached. I had to perform academically. And I can tell you at that time in my life, that wasn't my focus. My focus was baseball. At San Diego State, it was take the SAT, show up. And here's your scholarship. So I chose San Diego State. And it proved to be, at that point in time, a very bad decision. Going to San Diego State was one of the worst decisions of my life for my baseball career. You see, when I was in high school, it always took me an inning or two to find the groove. I might walk the first two or three batters of the game and then strike out the next three. When I was in college, my coach at the time, Jim Dietz, he had no patience for that. If I started the game, walked a batter or two, I was out. I didn't have the opportunity to work through that. As you might think, that severely diminished my confidence. And for the next several years when I was playing for San Diego State, I had a confidence problem. I couldn't throw strikes. I was tight. I was always worried about being pulled. And because of that, I rarely pitched at San Diego State. Except for one night when the San Diego State Aztecs played an exhibition game against the 1996 San Diego Padres. Some of the members of that team included Ricky Henderson, Tony Gwynn, Ken Caminiti, Steve Finley, Trevor Hoffman, etc. I didn't know if I would pitch or not. But lo and behold, I got the call. I remember warming up in the bullpen and getting ready to take the field at what was then called Jack Murphy Stadium where the Padres played. I was nervous, but I was excited. And something about me that is peculiar is the more pressure I faced, the better I performed. And this was the most pressure I had ever faced in my life. 
In that particular game, there were approximately 25,000 fans in the stadium. My roommates were in the stadium. My friends were in the stadium. And I was about to walk out onto the mound at Jack Murphy Stadium and pitch against the 1996 San Diego Padres. I remember standing on the mound and Ricky Henderson walking into the batter's box. My only thought, just throw it over the plate. That was it. I just didn't want to embarrass myself at that point. Lo and behold, I get to three balls and two strikes. I throw a high and outside fastball and Ricky swings and he fouls it off to the right fielder. And then all of a sudden, the nerves went away and I started to pitch. I pitched three innings that day, gave up no runs, struck out three, and only gave up one hit to Jody Reed. There were scouts in the stands, and there was one scout in particular from the Texas Rangers who saw something in me that caused him to want to draft me. So he did. I was drafted that year, 1996, in the 33rd round of the Major League Amateur Draft to the Texas Rangers. I quickly went to rookie ball, and everything was different. Professional baseball is about development, not pressure to win. And that's what I needed. I needed the opportunity to stretch my legs, to relax, to find my sweet spot on the mound again. And I was able to do that over the progression of two years. That first year, it was enough for me to throw strikes, find my pitches, and get comfortable again on the mound. The next year, I came out of the bullpen and pitched largely in games where we were either winning by a lot or losing by a lot. But since I was a left-handed pitcher who threw in the high 80s, low 90s sometimes, who had a plus curveball and a dominating forkball, I was given an opportunity to pitch. That particular season was odd. If you look at my stats, I did have a lot of walks, but I also had a lot of strikeouts. And I would typically give up one run in that inning. This was very frustrating because my ERA always stayed around eight. But that year was really a success, and here's why. The Lord brought someone into my life at that point named Lee Tunnel. Lee was our pitching coach and a former Major League Baseball player. Lee was also a Christian. Now, mind you, at this point in time, I was not a Christian. But Lee modeled for me what it was to be a Christian man. He loved his family. He loved us baseball players. He was kind and he was patient. And he was also a great baseball mind. He didn't believe in making wholesale changes to pitchers, but rather minor tweaks, minor changes here and there. And so when I would throw a bullpen, he would watch me and then he would give me these recommendations to make these minor changes. He was by far my favorite pitching coach that I ever had. And he made the most impact in my life. After that season, I went home and returned to spring training in March of 1998 to Port Charlotte, Florida. What I didn't know is that I was supposed to be cut in that spring training. Now, I should have known that because I didn't have great years the years before. 
And for the first time in several years, it all came together. I had command with my fastball. My curveball was working as it really always did. And my forkball was even more devastating than usual. There was one particular time where I was pitching on the double-A field where I threw one or two innings, had a great outing, and I remember coming back to the training room. The trainer was there, he and I were friends, and he was really excited. When I walked in, he said, Ryan, the news on the street is that you're pitching like a big leaguer. And I could tell you at that moment in time, that really filled me up. It had been a long time since I pitched the way that I knew I could. And for me to go through those struggles in college, where I rarely pitched, and where when I did pitch, I rarely pitched well, all the way to persevering, coming full circle, where now, once again, I was that dominant pitcher. I want to now tell you about two men that the Lord brought into my life that spring training. The first was John Wetland. John was one of the best closers at that time in Major League Baseball. And in fact, he is one of the most prolific closers of all time. There was one particular time when I went into the training facility and it was largely empty. It was me, it was John, and I believe two other Major League Baseball players. And very quickly, John began to make fun of my shoes. I was a minor league baseball player. I didn't have an agent. And therefore, I didn't receive new equipment very often. John obviously felt bad for making fun of me. So when he was done with that, he asked me what size shoes I wore. I told him and he said, Those, that's my size. He said, I'm going to have my agent overnight a pair of turfs to you and I'll deliver them to you tomorrow. I didn't think anything of it. In fact, I didn't think it would happen at all. So when I was done working out, I left the facility. Now, as I was leaving the facility, I was just about to cross through the door when I heard John yell something at me. Now, mind you, no one had ever said this to me before in my entire life. This is coming from someone I highly respected and who was, again, at that time, known as one of the best closers in the game of baseball. He yelled out, Jesus loves you. Now, let me tell you. At that point, when I heard that, I'd never heard that, again, targeted toward me before. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I didn't know how to respond. And the third thing is, I just kept walking. It made me feel uncomfortable, but also, wow, this person said something to me where he had to go outside of his comfort zone, and it made me go outside of my comfort zone but I still kept walking. And to be honest with you, I didn't really give it a lot of thought after I walked out of the facility. The next day, true to his word, John came over to the minor league side while we we're having lunch and he delivered that pair of turfs. I still have those turfs. And as you can imagine, they're worn out. I wore them all the time. I needed them. Part of me wishes maybe I would have just kept them in the box, but I wore them. So now let me tell you about Sean Cheek. Sean Cheek was a player on the minor league side and he was actually trying out for the Savannah Sand Nats as well. He caught me a lot that spring training, both in bullpen sessions and in games. 
He was a great guy, but something unique about Sean is that he was a Christian and he was open about his faith. But let me say this. He wasn't pushy about his faith. He was open about his faith. He was authentic. He wore his faith on his sleeve, but he wasn't off-putting. His faith, in fact, was attractive. And so we were friends all the way through spring training. Now, let me tell you about how spring training ended. Again, going back to coming to spring training, I didn't know it, but I was going to be cut. Unless I was a different Ryan, which I was. But even then, it didn't seem to matter. Lee Tunnel would tell me just before I left for Savannah, Georgia, that he was in the room with the other coaches and they were putting together the Savannah Sand Nats. And I was someone who was on the cut line. And Lee fought for me. Lee believed in me. And he fought for me and he won. I made the 1996 Savannah Sand Nats roster as a left-handed relief pitcher. Here's what I thought at the time. I thought that I was going to Savannah, Georgia to continue my dream of playing Major League Baseball. What I didn't know is that the Lord had another plan in mind. And let me say this. His plan for my life was much greater than my plan. Thank you for listening to Major League Faith. If you or someone you know is in need of prayer or encouragement, we invite you to contact us at MajorLeagueFaith.com. And don't forget to like, share with your teammates or loved ones, and leave a review. Thanks again for listening to Major League Faith, a podcast by players for players.